0: I always love it when songs sort of fit together so nicely into the sermon, it kind of means that I don't have to talk as long, I can just point you to what we just sang. That song, Rescue the Perishing, really sums up, I think, what we're going to talk about in this lesson this morning, but I was also thinking as we were singing that song about search and rescue, and I'm not going to say the name of the state where I'm going today, It's the state which shall not be named. But I am going to say that after this lesson, I am quickly heading to the airport to go fly to the East Coast for work. And I was thinking about, as we were singing that song, surely I was thinking about spiritual things, trust me. But I was thinking about, on on this thought of search and rescue, I was thinking about the very first time I had to travel out back East for work. And there was a time where we were sitting out doing some experiments, and we were in an armored Humvee, and the, the operator of the Humvee decided it was a hot day, of course, humid and gross and sticky, so we took the doors off the Humvee. I, I didn't even know you could do that, but we took the doors off the Humvee, we laid them down in the forest, and then we started doing our experiments, and at some point we decided it was time to boogie. We had to get going, and so we, we drove down the track some, some distance away, We forgot about the doors. And at some point, we realized that the doors were missing. And we got all the way back to the base. And the guy who had left the doors had no idea where we had left them. And he was telling me how much trouble he was going to be in, because those doors were somewhere in the middle of the state that shall not be named wilderness. So I got in my truck, and I went on a search and rescue mission for those doors, and I found them, and it reminded me a whole lot of the reading that we're going to read here this week. It reminded me of a reading that we read not too long ago in Luke 15, but if you'll open up your Bibles with me and turn to Luke chapter 19, that's the reading that we're going to be doing this week in our reading plan, Luke chapter 19. A search and rescue mission is not just for people out in the middle of the wilderness trying to find lost doors. A search and rescue mission was what Jesus did in finding a man named Zacchaeus and saving him from his sins. And this powerful story here that we're going to read this week in these first 10 verses of this chapter, I think sometimes we relegate it to the to the storybooks of our kids. Zacchaeus is a really relatable story that, that, that our kids can understand. They they know about Zacchaeus, we we talk about Zacchaeus in our Bible classes, but the older I get, the more I realize what was really happening in that story that I never really connected with as a kid. As a kid, I never really connected with the deeper meaning of Zacchaeus' life, his situation, where he fit into into the culture in which he lived, and how meaningful it was for Jesus to search and rescue for him. And so I want to talk about that this morning for just a few minutes. I want to talk about how important it was for Jesus to have this search and rescue mission for Zacchaeus. And I want us to see as a result of this, this is not just going to be like looking at the facts of what Jesus did. I want us to see it and be impressed with how we are to view the lost like Jesus viewed the lost. Jesus had a very specific way of dealing with lost and broken people. And we see it throughout our reading. I think as we're going to go back and look at Luke 15 later on in the lesson, we've read that not too many weeks ago, but Luke 15, this passage in Luke 19, all highlight how much God cares about lost people. How much God cares, not about those people who are saved or who are well, but how much he cares about those people who are saved those people who are broken, those people who need him. Jesus cares. Jesus is someone who will brave the wilderness and go out looking for the thing that is lost in order to find it and rejoice once again when it's home. And so that's what I want to see here in Luke chapter 19. I want to see this story of Jesus. The big idea here with Jesus and Zacchaeus is that Christ loved you in your sinfulness. This isn't just a story about Jesus and Zacchaeus. This is really a story about you and your sinfulness, my sinfulness. Jesus loved us in our sinfulness, and we ought to love one another in theirs. We ought to pay the love of Christ forward, loving people the way Jesus loved them, loving people the way Jesus loved us paying that forward, passing that along. And so this story, really, I think we can put ourselves in, in the shoes of both Zacchaeus here and about Jesus in this story. Maybe, in fact, you'll even put yourself in the shoes of the crowd. And if you find yourself in that situation, maybe there's some work to be done. But let's go on here and talk about maybe the first few verses here in Luke chapter 19. We'll stop kind of midway into verse 5. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up. Now, of course, as kids, you know, we've always focused on that he was a wee little man, i I'm not even sure if that's politically correct to say anymore, but that's the song we always sang as kids, and that's sort of the focus, the detail that we focus on on this story, how, how small he was and how, how incapable he was of seeing Jesus through this crowd. That is kind of the, the least interesting detail to me now. You know, this many years later, kind of revisiting this story, that is one of the least interesting details for me. One of the most th- interesting things to me is how rich he was, how on the fringes of his religious society that he was. He was a tax collector. He was an outcast, really, from the, from the children of Israel. He, he was an Israelite. He was a child of Abraham, as we're going to learn in a little bit. He was an Israelite, but, but he, his job made him a hated individual. The, the children of Israel really did not appreciate people like Zacchaeus, and here he is up in a tree trying to see Jesus, a rich man who is now looking over the crowd. And what we, what we see, I think, from this first few section, few, few verses of this section is that Jesus is seeking. Jesus is seeking. Now, you'll find it interesting here because as you're reading, the only time you actually see the word seeking here is actually in reference to Zacchaeus in verse 3. He was seeking to see who Jesus was. Zacchaeus was seeking Jesus. Zacchaeus was looking for Jesus. He wanted to see him. He he did the whole work of getting up into the tree, but notice what it says at the very end of our reading there in in verse 5, sort of the beginning part of verse 5, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up. Now that seems like a small detail, and maybe I'm you know, picking nits, or maybe I'm just sort of diving into the, to the micro details of this verse, but I think it's important that Jesus looks up. How often do we see Jesus looking and seeking and, and searching for things that most normal people would have just overlooked? I'm thinking about the woman with the hemorrhage of blood who touches Jesus' cloak in the middle of the crowd, right? And as Jesus says, who touched me? His disciples are like, what on earth are you talking about Jesus? There's hundreds of people around. There's people touching you all over the place. And he, he noticed that one interaction, that one touch, that was different from all the rest. Here we see that Jesus looks up and sees the one man in the tree. You know, among all the crowd, among all the people that Jesus could have been distracted by, he sees the one man. He looks up and sees Zacchaeus. And I think throughout the scriptures, of course, as I've mentioned it a couple times, Luke 15, that's a great example of the things that God is looking for, the way that God seeks and searches for the hearts of human souls. You think about how there in the prodigal story, of course, the Father is just on the horizon looking. But when you lose a coin, of course, you're going to look for it, you're going to search for it. And in all those examples in Luke 15, we see how much God is seeking how much he's looking around for lost people. And as Jesus is going to go on here at the end of this, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost in verse 10, he's summarizing really all the main points of this lesson, that the purpose of Jesus was to seek and save. The purpose of Jesus was search and rescue. And here's the thing. I think we do a really good job talking about how Jesus saves. I do. I think we talk a whole lot about how Jesus saves and how he takes care of our sins, washing them away on the cross. But do we talk enough about how Jesus seeks? Do we talk enough about how he looks, how he's watching, how he's just looking around every corner to see if there's anyone who will respond. Do we think enough about that? You know, Because I think here, as Jesus is going to go on to say he came to seek and to save, I think both of those things are important. Zacchaeus would not have been saved had it not been for Jesus watching for him. Oh, and by the way, Zacchaeus seeking as well. But Jesus was looking. He was on the alert, just like we see there in in Luke chapter 15. God is watching out. And so I think by extension, when we see how much Jesus is looking for opportunity, we ourselves need to lift up our eyes. We need to do the same thing as Jesus is doing. If you go over to John chapter 4, this is a great example here in John, where he's sharing there at the end of this interaction between Jesus and the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. And you'll remember there in that story how really they're wanting him to eat. Jesus' disciples are wanting him to eat. After the Samaritan woman goes away, Jesus is basically saying, look, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And the disciples were pretty confused about this. They're trying to figure out who brought Jesus food while we were gone. That's not the point. That's not what Jesus is talking about. There in verse 34 of John chapter 4, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months? Then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white with harvest. All around us, there are people who need to know the gospel, who need to know Jesus, and it is not hard to find any of them. We just have to do the job of seeking. We just have to change our focus. Instead of looking down, instead of looking inwardly, instead of looking in our small bubble, we need to lift up our eyes, and look up. Because sometimes our perspective is so limited in scope that we miss all the people around us, this white field of harvest that we live in. And all Jesus had to do was look up when when Zacchaeus was there in the tree. And what he's encouraging his disciples to do here is just look up. Look up. Lift up your eyes and see the world around you. And that is what our job needs to be as seekers. When we are looking for people who need salvation, when we are looking for those Humvee doors in the, in the middle of the forest who are lost, when we're out there looking, we need to do a better job at looking. We, our daughter is not here, so I can talk about her. I'd talk about her anyway if she was here, but... You know, when we ask her to go find something in her room, she is, like, the worst at seeking. She doesn't put the time or energy into it. She walks in her room, does one of these, and walks out, and that's the amount of work that she put into seeking the thing that we ask her to go get. And if any of us go in there, it's, like, obvious where the thing is. We were asked, you know, the dish that she had in her room or whatever. Like, we see it. It didn't take very much seeking. Seeking isn't really a hard job, and that's, that's one of the impressive things about this work that we've been called to do as evangelists, as people who evangelize, as people who spread the gospel and disciple the world around us. It is not a hard job. You, you can't not bump into somebody on your way to the restaurant today or on your way to the airport today or wherever you're going. You can't not bump into somebody who needs to hear the gospel. Look up acknowledge them. See that open door that God is opening before you. Okay, so the Lord is seeking, of course, but let's go back here to Luke chapter 19. While the Lord is seeking, he's also doing something else. Let's finish out that verse 5 that we were reading. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He was gone. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner, they said. So what we see here as the story continues is that not only is Jesus seeking for someone, but he also sees. Those are very, two very similar words. There's just one letter missing, but the meaning there is really important. Not only is he seeking, but he sees. He sees Zacchaeus. He sees him to the point where he says his name. That's the very first thing he says to Zacchaeus. How does Jesus know his name? Well, he's Jesus, of course. That's how he knows his name. But the very first thing he says to Zacchaeus is, Zacchaeus. Now, this may be a minor point. I am terrible with people's names. If you are also terrible with people's names, I won't ask you to raise your hand. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I am terrible. Remembering people's names sometimes. And there will be times where I will meet somebody who I've met dozens of times before, and I'll say, hey boss, how's it going, chief? You know, those kinds of like non-names that we give people who, just to kind of paper over or cover over the fact that we don't know someone's name. Jesus doesn't come up and say, hey chief, up there in the, up in the tree, he says his name. By the way, and I've said this during our Bible class at one point, I want to reiterate it in this lesson. My name is Brian with a Y. And I know that's not super important, but I've been called everything under the sun. Actually, the other day I got, somebody called me Biran, B-I-R-A-N. Like, that's not even close. I know this is a typo on top of another typo. People call me Brain, B-R-A-I-N. There's not even the same letters in there as B-R-Y-A-N. Now, I say that not because I'm nitpicking at anybody who calls me Brian with a -A B-R-I-A-N. I'm saying that when you see somebody, when you know somebody, you know their name. You know their name, and you let it sink in, and you call them by that name. How important are names in the Bible? Names are so important that in Revelation, Jesus says, I'm going to give you a new name, which only you and I know. I mean, that's that's how much Jesus values names. Names are so important. And names, as he uses Zacchaeus' name, this may seem like a small point, and I get it, but because he uses Zacchaeus' name, it means he sees him. It means he knows him. He connects with him. It's not like, hey, you chief over there, or... Hey you, Zechariah, or or whatever your name is. Zacchaeus is the first thing he says, and that, you know, that may seem like a small point, but I think it's powerful. He says, "Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today." And the point, as we continue on, the point really there is that he wants him to come closer. I don't want you to stay in the tree. I don't want you to stay over there. Look, you're a sinner, and you are a rich man, and I, you know, you know what I feel about rich people. You know how I've warned against rich people, how it's harder for them to enter the kingdom of heaven than a camel going through the eye of a needle. You know I, I, I have certain feelings about people who, who use their wealth against others. But Jesus says, come here. Not only does he say, come here, he says, I'm coming with you. <laughs> I'm going to your house. You may, I, I love this, by the way, too, about hospitality. You know, This is forced hospitality. I love forced hospitality. I love it when somebody comes to my house. Lance and Carolyn aren't here, but they do this occasionally. Lance gives me like a five minute warning when he's going to show up, but he, you know, he'll just show up. And I love that. Those are my favorite kinds of things where, like, I'm, I'm coming over to your house. You know, you didn't invite me over, but, but here I come. And that's what Jesus is doing here. I'm coming to your house. I want a closer relationship with you. And doesn't that just echo what he says in Matthew 11? Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. You come to me, you come closer, and I'm gonna give you rest. He sees us, he wants a relationship with us. He doesn't wanna just keep us at arm's length, right? He doesn't want us to just be over there while he's over here. He doesn't wanna get too intertangled or intertwined in our messy, messy lives. He wants in. He wants us to be close. By the way, I talked about marketing in my first lesson. There is a very real marketing campaign going on right now. Uh, on TV, you might have seen it on billboards. The campaign is the He Gets Us campaign. I don't know if you've ever seen this. And I don't want to go too far into the details about it because it, you know, there's, of course, reasons why these people are, are sharing this information. But it's kind of shocking when you turn on the TV. If you've ever seen these, Where Jesus gets us is the main message of this campaign. It's really just highlighting how Jesus connects with us, how he understands what we've gone through. And of course, there may be some subtext in the meaning behind what they're saying on these commercials or whatever, but I think it's powerful. I think it's meaningful for people to see that Jesus isn't just over there. Jesus wants in because he gets us. He connects with us. He sees us and that's important that's important because Zacchaeus was somebody who his society his culture rejected him Zacchaeus was not a person who the religious world at the time wanted to be around of course as soon as they saw what Jesus had done they said he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner and haven't we all kind of been in their shoes before oh you're getting too close Jesus oh, don't get too close to the the people of the world. Bad influences, you know, they'll they'll ruin your your stand for the truth. And they're holding it against him, but he wants to be closer because he needs to save Zacchaeus. He can't save him if he's keeping him at a distance. And so I think, by extension, now when we see this characteristic of Jesus, we need to open up our hearts. We need to be the same kind of way that Jesus is toward those who are lost. As we look around us, of course, we look up and we see that the field is white with harvest. And then in John 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, we need to open up our hearts for those who are around us. By this, we know love, John says, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. John is encouraging us to just open up our hearts. Like Jesus did toward Zacchaeus. Like Jesus did toward the Samaritan woman at the well. Like Jesus did countless other times to people who were sick, tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes, people who the world rejected. When Jesus opened up his heart, we need to do the same thing. We need to be the same kind of way toward the world around us. Not letting them influence us, of course, but making sure that we let our lights shine in this world. Making sure that we see people. We see people in the lost state that they're in. We don't write them off by being a rich person or by being a sinner or by being a reject. If Jesus connects with them, we need to connect with them too. That's really the whole point of this lesson. That's what I want us to focus on. I mean, we have just such an opportunity every day to be an influence on the world around us, and let's do that like Jesus was. And it is hard. It is hard because, you know, if you've been in the in the class that we've had, the Sermon on the Mount class here over the last couple weeks, I think Greg's been doing a really good job kind of raising some of the questions that we ask ourselves when we look about giving to other people, when we look at helping other people, serving other people, there are, there are questions. You know, is somebody going to take advantage of me? How, is, how, how might I be squandering my, my money right now or my time or my energy right now? And of course, we need to work out all of that in our own minds, in our own hearts, but we need to keep going back to Jesus. We need to keep going back to the one who didn't care what anyone else said, He didn't care what these people said about him or his work or the things that he was involved in doing. He didn't care if they thought Zacchaeus was a sinner. They didn't think that he didn't care if they thought he was a sinner by extension. He didn't care. The only thing that mattered was that man's soul. And he was going to do whatever it took to connect with Zacchaeus. And he did. And so then we continue on. And we close out this little short story in Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now we get to the rescue part of it. Jesus has done the searching. Jesus has done the looking. He's done the connecting and seeing Zacchaeus. And now, now he saves. Now he does the work that, oh, by the way, only he can do. I think it's important for us to really settle in on this fact. None of us are ever going to be able to do this work. You and I can seek. You and I can connect and see the people in the world, but we cannot save. And I'm glad we can't, because that work is way above our pay grade. The Lord saves. And when he extends salvation to Zacchaeus' house, because of his faith, because of his good works, because of whatever it is that Zacchaeus is presenting before him, I'm, I'm trying not to let my riches take over my life. I'm giving what I can to others. I'm helping others. And Jesus sees enough in Zacchaeus to know that he is a man of faith. That he's a man of faith like his father Abraham was a man of faith. That he's trusting in the Lord like Abraham trusted in the Lord. And he says, today salvation has come to this house for the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was, which was lost. Only he can save us. You'll notice there in the, the account of the Philippian jailer there in Acts chapter 16, By the way, that's verse 30 through 34, not 24. But that that account there in Acts, as they're extending to the Philippian jailer what it is that he needs to do to be saved, he says, believe in the Lord Jesus. That is our message. That is the, the crux of what we are trying to convey to people. Believe in Jesus. It's that simple. And of course, that belief then caused him to repent of his sins and to be baptized that very day but belief in Jesus is is everything cuz only Jesus can save we can't we're not converting people to this church building we're not converting people to some you know organization or nonprofit we're converting people to Jesus and we're not even doing the converting it's Jesus who's doing the converting He's the one who saves. And because he's the one who saves, it does not mean that we have no responsibility in this. It does not mean that we are just absolved of having to do any work because as James talks about in James chapter five, verses 19 through 20, the end of the the chapter there, the end of the book, he says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders back, wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wanderings, will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Our job is not to save people. Our job is to bring them back. Our job is to grab them by the shoulders if needed. Our job is to tailor our approach, as Jude talks about in the book of Jude. Sometimes we've got to snatch people out of the fire. Sometimes we need to just encourage people and get them to see a shift in their thinking. But we need to turn people back who are wandering back to Jesus. That's our job. It's not an easy job. I don't want to stand up here and say that that helping people see the error of their ways is an easy job, because it's not. Because you're dealing with people's lives, you're dealing with people's emotions, their feelings, their context, their situation, their circumstance. You're dealing with all that baggage, all the messiness of their lives, but you don't have to fix it. God fixes it. God saves people. Jesus Christ, his son, died so that they could be saved just like you were saved. But we we need to focus on our mission, bringing people back, pointing them to Jesus. And as this example goes here, as we've been studying, and as we'll be studying, I guess, through this next week in Luke chapter 19, as we read this over and over again five times, when we think about Zacchaeus, put yourself in that story. And see how much Jesus loved him. See how much Jesus didn't care what society around him thought. And take take courage in adopting that mission for yourself this week. Is there someone in your life who you need to courageously go to? Finding them out of the dark situation that they're hiding in. See them, connect with them, and then share with them the gospel. Is there someone in your life who you haven't done that with? I think all of us, if we look up and we shift our perspective, we'll see yeah, the fields are white with harvest. There's a lot of people out there who need the Lord, and we need to be about that work today. Take out your songbooks, turn to the number that's been announced, appreciate your attention. As I said, I am getting on a plane as soon as we're done with this, going to the state that shall not be named. And it is so important, though, that if somebody wants to give their life to the Lord... I'll miss that flight. We'll we'll baptize you today. We'll do that right now. If you need to give your life to the Lord, if you need to, to commit yourself to him, there is no better time than today. Don't put it off. Don't wait. If you know that you don't have a relationship with Jesus, that you don't have a relationship with God the Father, do it today if you're ready. Please come as we stand and sing.